Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I have Aaron Lyons from Dish Society coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is the editor of SwankyMaven.com. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I'm doing good. Energy's back up. Last time we were together, I felt like our energy was down a little bit once I listened to the podcast back. Okay. We were a little flat, so we need to bring it back up. All right. Well, I count on you for that. Yeah, that's why I said, so I let you down last time. I'm here for you today. I'm back. Okay. 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 I'm, well, I'm glad that you're here. Yeah, all the way here. We have much to discuss. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, a major restaurant closure. Reef is no more. Brian Caswell announced last week that he has served his last meal at the Midtown Restaurant. It reopened earlier this summer after a two-year hiatus brought about by damage it sustained during Hurricane Harvey. I mean, I I think there's a lot to say about kind of Reef's role in shaping our current culinary world and maybe the reasons why it couldn't survive in 2019. But let me just throw it to you. Were you, how did, what, what was your relationship with Reef as a, as a diner? Good question. So um, I know you're really brokenhearted because you have loved Reef from back in the day when they reopened. You were super excited, so I'm really sad for you because that's one that's one of your favorites. You know, over time, sure. Um, Reef, I never had the love affair with Reef. Um, they were, but let me just be fair. I understood Reef. I understood where they what what they've done for the culinary scene. Um, I've had. Good meals there, but more inconsistent with service. And so that's why it just wasn't my thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you almost can't overstate Reef's importance when it opened in 2007. The idea that a seafood restaurant would only source all of its fish, shellfish, produce, et cetera, from the Gulf Coast. Correct was essentially unheard of at the time. You know, I mean, if you just think about, you know, just from and, that standpoint, right, right? from a right, yes. from a high-end seafood restaurant, yes. right? Like not a not a not a Cajun or a Creole seafood right. restaurant like like Good Company or or a place like that, but that you know, that a, that an upscale luxurious, right? Like I mean, the only places to kind of compare it to um that were kind of in that universe at the same time were like Pesce, Marcali's restaurant or McCormick and Schmick's or something like that. Right. No, they definitely so, were trends. Like we're saying definitely trendsetters, right? Like right. what they were doing to your point. Why, what makes that different to today? What he was doing was, wow. Is this, I'm sure people were thinking, is this going to work? Are people going to get it? Are they going to pay um, a premium for, See, you know, fresh seafood. Do we care that much? We did care that much, right? He he set the trend and set the tone. I think today, that's the standard. He right. created the well, standard. But even still, 
I mean, I can't think of another seafood restaurant specifically that sources the way that Reef did. No, I agree. Even, you know, 12 years Even ago. Even back then, right. 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 No, he fully, um, they, they fully committed, the team, they fully committed to this is what we're going to be and this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to continue to do, right? Because a lot of times you'll see people start out saying, not even like you're saying seafood, I can't think of anybody. The closest would be at the time would be more Collie, right? Like doing something. And that wasn't even right, on the Peche same level. Right, was kind of global. Yeah, it was on the same level, yeah. Right, you know, like Peche had, like I, I have a very specific memory. I think I even talked about it when Mark was on the show uh, a while back about going there and having a Dover Soul special with my family, right? Reef was Reef essentially was saying, you don't need Dover Soul, you don't need Maine Lobster, you don't need, you know, Japanese tuna, or you know, fish from Hawaii. Like, we can get we can get amberjack from the Gulf. We can get drum. You know, Brian was a leader in in bringing bycatch to attention, and and you know, now right, those species and those fish are just on menus, right? right. You might you might get that at at one of Chris Shepard's restaurants or, you know, one of the agricultural places or Justin, you might be serving something, but, but you know, in 2007, you know, it, right. it never, right. What was Amberjack, right? right. right. What is drum? Tr- right. Right. You know, now it's right. like, now it's like we have a drum special tonight and I'm excited about it. Right. Exactly. But we learn to do those things at reef. And of course, Brian, as someone who went to high school here and grew up in Louisiana and so understood Houston flavors, but had worked for John George von Gerichen in New York and in Asia, you know, brought this great training, all these great experiences back home. You know, he was really like one of the first people to do that. And so, you know, for him to be a food and wine best new chef when it had been a while since Houston had had one of those, for him to be a two-time James Beard Award Best Chef Southwest finalist, you know, he's kind of, you know, to, to cite one of my favorite uh, sports analogies, you know, he's Bum Phillips kind of knocking on the door, right? And then a few years later, right, Chris Shepard would be the one to kick the son of a bitch in and yeah, actually win true. an award for the city. I actually like that analogy. That's that's good. That's good, Eric. I try. You try. That's good. So, but fundamentally, and I, I kind of wrote about this, and but, you know, Reef is huge. I mean, we can't, right? like 250 seat restaurant full bar area with another like 60 seats of its own. And, and these numbers are approximate. Like I, I don't, right, I don't like know if I have saying, the, but it's a, it's a big, it's a big restaurant. It's a 12, 13,000 square foot restaurant. Right. Nobody opens independently owned one off chef driven restaurants in that size anymore. Right. The only restaurants we see that are that size are steakhouses, right? Like garden grace just opened. It's 15,000 square feet. Take 40, it's like 14,000 square feet. Uh, you know, like nobody in 2019, like if you were going to open Reef in 2019, it would be like Riel or Nancy Sussel where it's like right. it would be 65, 75, 80 seats, you know, uh, squabbles that size, uh, you know, uh, Rosie Cannonball's about 80 seats. You know, this idea is, you know, that you can, you can control your costs by, 
you don't need the big staff, you know, it's, it, it doesn't cost as much to build it, you know, all these other things. It's just, it's a much more manageable footprint. And so, you know, if, if reef were to come back, right, it'll be, you know, it'll be 75 seats with a chef's counter and an oyster bar or something, right? Nobody, nobody opens. And, and when people do, right, they don't last. Like Holly's was huge. It didn't last. Salter Seafood Kitchen was huge. It didn't last. That was going to be the point I was going to make. Large, think about all these large seafood restaurants. They don't make it. Like they're, they're like you're saying, they're too big. They don't last. Um, not to take, so if, all things considered that are equal. Good food, they're giving good service. What's the common denominator, right? They're huge. And the operational cost to run them, and you have to be full every night. <laughs> you have to be full every single night, or you're not gonna you're not gonna be open very long. And so I think also I think another thing with the reef, um, the size, and if you take reef of pre them closing and reef today it reminded it was the same it was the same restaurant there's nothing wrong with that but there is something there's something wrong with it in this day and age right and i I think brian had come up with some new dishes that were pretty compelling but it was a hard you know it it wasn't to to again to to draw upon an analogy it was kind of an ocean liner and once it stopped moving, you know, it was bobbing in the waves. It's hard to turn the engine engines back on again and get up to speed. Right. It wasn't to me. It wasn't fresh enough. Yeah. Right. And and to start not being fresh, and to to try to catch up to yourself, you're trying to really catch up. You're you're chasing your former success, and you're trying to catch up with yourself. It's too competitive. You can't right now. It's hard to catch up. Right. And then we should say, I mean, you know, the press release that announced the closing alluded to some some health issues that Brian was having. I don't I don't really have any details about that beyond what was in the release. Um, Hopefully it's not too serious. Hopefully it's something he can recover from because, you know, I do want him back in a kitchen somewhere. Yeah, he needs to be in a kitchen. That's where he's very good at his craft. And um we would be a, it would be a disservice to everybody if he's not able to do that because he's a great chef. Right, Houston is a worst dining city without <laughs> with yeah. Brian Caswell cooking in it. But I, you know, I, and I think he'll lay low for a little bit. He'll do some catering. He'll do some private chef gigs. You know, uh, anyone who's anyone who's got like you know dinner for if you've got a corporate dinner for seventy five, he's your boy. He's your guy. He's he available. Is. He is. And I think, too, in this downtime, I hope he, as you said, I hope he takes care of himself and um, he's recovering from whatever um, his health issue is. And when he comes back, just take some time to kind of figure out what that next thing is, because he can do a lot of things. Right. So maybe look at what's out there what the market, what where he can fit and contribute to the market and get a good team around him that can help him take it to the next level. Right. Well, I will say I've been sort of begging a Texas chef to rip off a restaurant in Portland, Maine called Eventide Oyster Company that 
is a beard award winning concept, you know, very acclaimed, a very acclaimed, pretty well-known restaurant. Essentially it's an oyster bar, right? They have, you know, on any given, on any given day, more than a dozen kinds of raw oysters. And then they, they serve oysters in other forms, roasted, fried, whatever. And then they do kind of small plates. Some are Korean inspired, some are, you know, kind of classic Maine, but, and, and the best lobster roll anywhere. This like brown butter, brown oh butter gosh. lobster rolls. Unbelievable. Me hungry. <laughs> so, so the Houston version of that restaurant, right. Would have Gulf oysters, right. Like murder points and, and whatever else. And the Houston version of that restaurant would, would instead of having Korean small plates, you would probably have Vietnamese, you know, or maybe some South Asian kind of kind of do the little kind of mix flavors. that we do, right? Yeah, well, like Chris Shepard has, um, like Viet Cajun roasted oysters on the UB or not the UB preserve on the Georgia James menu, right? Like a version of that, right? Some something like that with like a really great cocktails, really great afford like an affordable, fun wine list, some local craft beer. You know, it doesn't take reservations. It always has a line out the door. Got it. And it's, I, I it's relatively affordable. So we're kind of taking that whole concept and putting the Gulf Coast flavor with a little Houston stank on it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Brian, I like it. Brian Caswell would be a perfect person, would be the right kind of person to essentially take his inspiration from Eventide and put a Texas twist on it. Have you talked to him about that? Brian, that we're your team right now. If you're listening, Brian, we, come to Maine with me right, and I will take just, you out. I, I will buy the meal and then you can collect the ideas and then open a restaurant. Right. I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want any part of the, the execution of this idea. I'm just putting it out in the universe. But that's Someone kind of something I want to see him doing. Yeah. What, like that's, that's what I'm saying. Where taking a concept what he does well and what you just laid out. That's perfect. Right. In a right. casual, relatively affordable setting. Yeah. Putting a new, yeah. Putting a new spin on it. I like it. I like it. Let's do it. Brian, get better. Hit Eric up. <laughs> All right. Topic number two. Felice, would it, would it surprise you to learn that the best cafeteria in America is right here in Houston. Oh gosh. Um, are there cafeterias in America like that still? Well, okay. So, <laughs> so I think yeah. that, so you, you kind of jumped ahead of me. Um, so, okay, let me go back. Let me answer the question. Cause I never play right. Um, no, it would not surprise me. Well, that's good because it is according to food and wine. Cleburne cafeteria is the best cafeteria in America. Now, ask your question. Are there cafeterias like that still in America? Like So the sh the short answer based on the food and wine article is not really. Okay, okay. Right? And it's not that hard to understand why. Yes. Right? As we have become more sophisticated about dining, the appeal of a restaurant where every like a, a a pretty good version of a whole bunch of different kinds of stuff is available to you in steam tables is not what it used to be. Right. Right. When I right when I was growing up in Houston, 
you know, my grandparents would come visit from New York and we would go to Luby's. They loved Luby's. Now, if I go to Luby's, like, and, and I know there are some, it has its fans, right? Uh, Craig Lavati, very prominently among them. He's in one of their TV commercials. But it's like, is that the best place for chicken fried steak or fried fish or fried chicken or roast beef? No, of course it's not. Right. It's like a pretty okay version at about the right amount of money. You know, and, and Cleveland is Cleveland is like a slightly better version of that. It is. So if we're talking cafeterias, I have to say Cleveland is like a sophisticated cafeteria. Because when I was growing up, when you talk about like the Lubies and the Piccadilly, like Cleveland was like Well, yeah, it's the way, West U version as you right, would expect it's, it to be. You know, it was <laughs> very sophisticated. And I think once you add what they've done to it after the fire, right, it's just you can um, go and order like a steak and different things. So they've just made it a little bit more sophisticated. I'm, I'm Team Cleburne because I like that um, that nostalgia feeling. Like it just it reminds me of my childhood. It's It's fun. Well, you know, it's a funny thing. <laughs> it was... I guess it was either earlier this year or maybe late last year. My mother had never been to Cleburne and she requested that we go there and she really liked it. Right. And if you've never been or well, if you grew up with it and you love it, then nothing I say one way or the other is going to change your mind. Right. <laughs> if you've never been, it it is really charming. It's yes. In its way. But it is not a dining experience I will seek out very often. And so, of course, this food and wine article, the, the author talks about going there on Thanksgiving Day and being surrounded by all these people who are having this shared experience. And isn't it great? And yeah, I mean, I can, I can see that. But, you know, if I want the best version of any one of their individual dishes, like, no, I'm going to go. No, I'm gonna you're, go not, somewhere so you're else. thinking about it in the wrong way. I would never go there and nor have I ever gone and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go get chicken fried steak. This is like the best chicken fried steak or the best, they have a lot of pies, you know, like the best. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, I'm just excited about going like, oh my gosh. And hoping that they have a special that I haven't had that in my mind, I can't think, I forgot about. Like, oh, my God, this is so good. Like, when I get there. Oh, maybe they'll have the liver and onions tonight. Right, right. And then I get there, and it's something completely that I, it, it didn't even pop in my brain. I just get giddy like a kid again. It's it's great. It's great. And talking about your mom, to introduce people that have never even been, <laughs> and they get so excited. It, your mom's probably like, this is really good. And I know your mom dines very well. She, she loves does. Right. So, for her to get excited it is just that charm and that feeling. So I can totally see how they won that, you know, for a cafeteria. Because you don't feel like that. I don't feel like that when I go to Luby's. <laughs> I'm no. just running in, grabbing something because I don't want to get fast food. There's, and Luby's something is right about, there. there's something about Cleburne that's a little more personal. It's a big restaurant, so I don't calling it more intimate isn't quite right. But there's just something about it. And maybe you know, the people that work there. That maybe the people there that work there. That they're right. connected with. You feel like you're at a, a restaurant where you have even the people that um, 
come and get your water and clean. oh yeah, they're, with the little carts, yeah. right? They're very um, personable, right? They are. Yeah, so that's probably it. But yeah, it's a it's a good experience. Congrats to them. We, you know, we we go. published we published this article uh, the day after Thanksgiving. You know, at, at a time when people are feeling maximum nostalgia, and it it garnered a lot of readership. So I I did want to acknowledge it here on the podcast. But uh, congratulations, congratulations, Cleburne! You're the best cafeteria in America. All right, topic number three. I think this will this will go a lot more quickly. <laughs> the shade. Uh, no, no, just because I, I don't think there's as much to say about it. Sing Sing closed, the Singaporean restaurant. Now, I remember talking to you about this when it was first announced that Cook Lamb, who at the time was a food writer who had done a bunch of pop-ups, had partnered with Las- Jerry Lasco of Lasco Enterprises, uh, which is the company behind the tasting room and Max's Wine Dive, to open a fast, casual restaurant with a menu inspired by Singapore... We were excited. We were super excited. We Not only did we talk about it, the excitement, because it was ladies, right? It was a ladies show. I remember that. We were super excited. We also discussed it when um, um, she left. Yeah, she didn't last there very long. Right. And I, I'm surprised that they've lasted this long without her because I predicted then. I'm like, it's not going to it's, it's not gonna work. She is sing like... It's not going to work. Yeah, I, I think I think the the comment that you know I, I sent Jerry an email to sort of inquire. He was very nice about it. He said, you know, financially we just couldn't make it work. We really believed in the concept. Again, I, I think it's hard. Right, I think if you're going to do the food from a city with as vibrant a culinary life as Singapore, you have to really bring it, right? Like the Loxa has to, you know, I mean, enough people in Houston have been to these places, right? If you're going to serve a dish, a dish like Loxa or whatever else, that it's got to be a really good version. And so I admit, I did not go back to sing after Cook left. I didn't, I didn't really give it another chance. That's, that's on me to a certain extent, but it, I didn't want to, though. Yeah, I didn't either. And it just never (laughs) quite, it just, but I mean, I don't know that that means we know Cook, so. Right, that's why I'm like, did we not go? Because I didn't want to, because I'm like, she's not there. Like, they didn't announce someone that was going to be just as dynamic was taking her place. Sure. So I was good. I'm like, I'm good. Scratch off the list. Right, but I, but for people who don't know, right, but it didn't catch on with people who don't know her and didn't really care one way or the other. You know, because they didn't bring it. Yeah, it just wasn't. It wasn't everything that it could have been. Yeah. So that's it. Like that's, you said, that was short and sweet. All right, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating. So, Felice, for our restaurants of the week, I want to revisit a couple of places that we've talked about on the show previously, but. That, well, I want to talk about Candente because I think I've only really talked about it on the show with Matt Harris, which doesn't reflect the frequency with which I've been dining there. As anyone who follows me on Instagram knows, I can't stay out of it. Me either. So, 
All right. Perfect. It's perfect because we like anytime someone hasn't gone or wants, hey, I'm there. <laughs> this is so. So this is that restaurant that right now seems to be. So there's two restaurants that people keep being like, I want to go there. One of them is Rosie Cannonball, and I talked about that last week. And then the other one is Candente. And, you know, it's not, we have a lot of really good Tex-Mex in this city, right? I don't lack for choices when I want fajitas and cheese enchiladas and guacamole and frozen margaritas. But I just find Candente's versions of all of those things to be very compelling. I do too. Mine is the frozen margaritas, though. Like I'm, I'm gonna talk to them about that. <laughs> I, I think the Paloma. You know, yeah, I've been the drinking Paloma. the. Pol- Truth be told, I've been drinking the Paloma. Paloma the Paloma is amazing. The margaritas still need some work. However, it hasn't stopped us from going. So there you go. Um, I agree with you. It's I love Tex Mex, and their version of the things that I like, they do it really, really well. Um, and adding that Tex Mex with the barbecue aspect, just takes it to the next level. And I think for both of us, we like Tex-Mex and we like some good smoked meat. So <laughs> it's just a happy, and they do it, a do a good job. Right, so to be able to get, you know, brisket enchiladas or, I the mean. Smoked chicken flautas. Right. Where they smoke so, that chicken. Yeah. Right, that, uh, that, uh, roasted duck that they do um honestly the carnitas i mean the the they're they're crispy on the outside um they're they're soft in the middle they're just like reminds quirky. you of old school carnitas yeah like old school yeah you know the those tortillas with the brisket fat were hit at the pit room they are still really good at candente the quality of the beef and the chicken that they're using for the fajitas is very good i mean i but like I was there this weekend and I got a combo plate with a beef enchilada, a cheese enchilada and a crispy old school taco, beef okay. taco, you know, 16 bucks with rice and beans. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty affordable. Yeah. It's well, good. Prices, it's, yeah. it's well executed. It's very satisfying. I mean, the fajitas get the fajitas are, are playing in the Ninfas, El Tiempo, Super Rica sure. kind of price point. You know, it's not. It's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's a pretty good value. I think the portions are pretty generous. To be fair, And it's just well executed. So to be fair, so I'm going to ask you a question. So every time that you've gone, has it been great every time you've gone? And I pretty much, I'm going to think yes, because you get outed every time you go. Well, yeah, no. I mean, they they spot me the second I, like, walk in the door. I, I mean, I would say... Like it's been consistently very good. I've had like bummer versions of one dish or another on mm-hmm. different occasions. You know, like one time the guacamole will be bland. Uh, when I was there this weekend, the flan was like still cold from being in the refrigerator or whatever. It was kind of flavorless. But, you know, or one time like the green salsa is like too vinegary, not as not as spicy. Right, as just it's, minor things. But really minor things. Yeah. You know, I've never. I've never had meat that was either wildly or over or undercooked or poorly seasoned. No, I get, I admit, I get a very good version of it. I know that hasn't always been the case for you. Right. Well, if I think about, I'll just use 10. If I've gone 10 times, probably 
out of the 10, it's been inconsistent um, where I was disappointed one time, but not so disappointed that I didn't go back. So I'm like, well, I've had more good experiences than bad. Um, and then kind of like you're saying, the enchiladas were a little off, like a little bit. They redid it. But for the most part, they've done a good job. So back to when they were first opening and we were like, oh, my God, when they first opened and we went, like if they can be consistent, they're going to kill it. And so when people go and give me feedback and they're like, yeah, uh, that wasn't my experience. So I would challenge them to um, continue to push the um, boundaries of being consistent all the time with service, with food, and, um, you know, so the, the experiences for everyone is not so in between. Right. And then the, the only other thing is I know they were having some trouble with getting the air conditioning to flow right with the wood-burning oven and the grill in the dining room. I was there one night when it was, like, uncomfortably warm. You know, I think I think they've got that figured out. And of course, now now the weather is cooled off a little bit. It won't be so bad. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I went this weekend, too. But we sat outside. We started inside and then we went outside because it was such a nice night. Um, But yeah, that is that is Bay. That is Bay right now. And um, I don't know who's going to knock it out. Not anytime this year. Yeah, certainly not. All right, and then uh, the one other restaurant I want to talk about is Rosalie Italian Soul because I know you just went there for the first time last week. So what did you think of Chris Cosentino's Italian-American red sauce restaurant? You know, I was a happy girl. I was happy. It was a complete experience where that whole Italian soul, I felt it. Like I mean, that decor <laughs> that's like straight out of his... Great grandmother's kitchen from Providence in the seventies. It, and I felt like I was not in Houston. I felt like I was in the grandmother's house, right? But like a chic, hip grandmother, right? Like if you took her house, dropped it in um, twenty nineteen, and you know, it's like we're gonna leave these, we're gonna leave this decor and swank it out a little bit. That's what you would get. Well, and they use this design firm Philadelphia, so it just doesn't look. You know, I mean, we have. We have great local design firms in Houston and they do beautiful work or whatever. I'm not going to rattle them off, but this was a new perspective, right? And so it didn't look like any other restaurant in Houston. And I, I really appreciated that. I do too. And to talk about any other restaurant in Houston, it's in a hotel. So it definitely doesn't feel like you're at a hotel restaurant um, it literally feels like a destination restaurant, right? And the food, oof! I was a happy girl. I was I was kind of scared, you know. I you know I was a little irritated. See, really, let me just be honest. I wanted it not to be that good because at the grand opening party they threw a little shade a little bit too. It was a VIP party, but then they had VIP VIP inside. I'm like, well, I'm a VIP. <laughs> I'm at the party, but it was VIP, <laughs> VIPs in the restaurant, and we were eating the pizza that was being passed around. Oh, right. Yeah, there was a there right. was like a VVIP. A VVIP. I'm like, well, what? So or I was, SVIP, <laughs> whatever that. I'm like, what? So I was like, mm. So in my, I was in my feelings. I'm like, it's probably not even that good. It was that good. It is that, <laughs> it's good. that good. It's if, that good. If for nothing else, 
than that blue crab manicotti in the lobster sauce. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That that is one of the best dishes of the year. I mean, the quality of the pizza is really good, and we're kind of having a pizza moment. And I was, I was to your point. I know you love pizza. The pizza is good. Like, I would go there and and like, yeah, let's go ahead and order a pizza, along with the blue crab manicotti. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I wouldn't feel like I needed to get something else. But they definitely shine with their pastas. That one's one of my favorite pastas. But they also have um, one the um, ravio the ravioli where it's. Um, Filled with little ricotta, and then they do it in the brown butter. It's real with black, um, you know, like black pepper. It's real simple, but that pasta, so yummy. Right. Pastas are very solid. Desserts are good. I mean that the, oh. I mean just just for the cannoli. I mean I'm a sucker for a good cannoli, and they they make a good one. See, and I had the tiramisu. Oh, I like a good tiramisu. And you, you would love their tiramisu. It was it would not disappoint. Yeah, I have not. They I've do had the a big steak. I had the big steak. Oh, you had the big steak. I had the big steak. How was it? It was good. Um, I wouldn't go there for the big steak. You know, we we do big steaks at places. We do. They they just weren't in my top, and I think because they were trying to cater to a couple of different people, and they over. For me, Mike, it was overcooked a little bit. Sure. And you don't do a big steak and overcook it like that. Like it's Well, you know, they do a whole chicken milanese, mm. right? Pounded out fried chicken that I have not tried yet. Because I feel like I need, you know, we need to be a party of four or five or six right. to really justify that. And I just haven't, I haven't rounded up that group of people to go eat that dish. But I really, that's. That's what the next time I go to Rosalie, that's what we're getting. Right. Well, that's how I had the big steak because it was a lot of people. So there was like two big steaks, right? Like yeah. it was and a whole lot of everything mm-hmm. else. But I would love to try the chicken as well. So, you know, we need to get a couple more people and we're there. Yeah, we'll we'll make it happen. All right, Felice, before you get out of here, what's what's new at SwankyMaven.com? You know, just working on some events for 2020. Um, if you have some things that you guys want. I have some good stuff that I'm working on, but if there's things that you guys want to see, hit me up at Swanky Maven. I'm on at Swanky Maven on everything. And let me know what you want to see. That's it. And just enjoying the year, drinking and eating. All right. Felice, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I will be right back with Aaron Lyons. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by the CEO and founder of Dish Society, Aaron Lyons. Aaron, it's been about 100 episodes since you were last on the show. I think I looked it up this morning. You were on episode 29, and this is, I think, 123. So it's it's time. It is. It is. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Welcome back. I missed you. It's a, it's a funny sort of thing because I think when you were on, we talked about Kind of your plans to open in the Heights, and you told me you had a top secret thing you couldn't talk about, which turned out to be Finn Hall. That's right. So you've opened two restaurants in the amount of time that I saw you, and uh, and then you just announced that you're coming to Bel Air. Well, I don't know. We had we had vigorous arguments in the Facebook comments about Bel Air versus Southside Place versus, versus Houston <laughs> versus West. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm in the same boat, I guess. I, 
The street address is Houston. I don't know if Southside Place gets its own. We are in the city of Southside Place. Okay. We have to go through them for permitting and, and everything like that. So that, okay. I think that solves it. But, but the old yeah. Palace Lane site, yeah, which is going to be called Southside Commons, a new mixed-use development. Yeah, it's awesome. Let me, let me start there. Are you... Like when a project like that comes together... Do you see that that's happening and go to the developer or does the developer come to you and say, we think our development would be better with a dish society in it? It's both. I think it depends on the project. Um, that, that example specifically, um, it was, I had reached out to John, who's the owner, who's the developer. And we had a lot of mutual friends and, um, and, uh, he was actually said he actually said I was going to reach out to you next week about it. Um, so he he said you know my wife and I are fans of Dish Society and you know we we kind of saw you as a as a natural fit for the project and we were going to reach out to you. And uh, I said great. Well, we're very interested. You know we had been looking in that area for a while. We had, we were looking at the old Jerry built space um, down the street, not too far, uh, right after they closed, like the day after they shut those shut those down. I was in there, uh, you know, looking at it. And um, it just did, didn't work out. Uh, that space, it didn't work out. And I think it's going to be like an urgent care or something. Now. I'm not sure, but it's still, it's still uh, vacant. So we, we were, we've been looking at that place for a while uh, in that area. And so when I saw that announcement and I knew I kind of had a, a warm lead into the, the, the developer through some mutual friends, uh, I reached out and then and, and he you know, followed up and we had lunch the next week. And um, that was kind of it. I mean, it was that, and that was, Quite honestly, that was about 18 months ago. That was a while ago when all that happened. So, Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I, I could probably answer this question for you, but what is it about that neighborhood, you know, the intersection of, of Bel Air and West U, uh, close to Meyerland, that, that appealed to you? I mean, definitely, I think, you know, like you said, um, the demographic, the density, the traffic, um, the proximity to just so many, you know, things, um, you know, rice village is obviously great and it's, it's, it's not too far. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's very congested and there's a lot of people that, you know, for, they want a convenience type of option. It's kind of difficult to get in and out of rice village and you got, you know, I got to pay to park now everywhere pretty much unless you want to deal with the garages. And there's just, there's just a lot of traffic. There's a lot of renovations. There's a lot of stuff going on over there. Um, and so we kind of wanted to be in that neighborhood place, just like we did with Memorial kind of in and out, you know, a lot of parking, real easy, um, and just a lot of our target demographic there. You know, we just really felt like um, that was a, an area of town that we thought we could just do really, really well at. Yeah, I think in some ways it's a lot like your first location, you know, Tanglewood, Briar Grove, where maybe there aren't as many sort of family-friendly restaurants like in that immediate area. And so there are now. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've There's been a, a ton real, of them now. You've been a real pioneer, uh, <laughs> and more all the time. Uh, you got you got a Torchies opening. I know, right down the street from uh, you. And a Chipotle but, and all kinds of stuff going um, on over there. But you know, when you went into that neighborhood in 2013, um, you were kind of ahead of the curve. Right, right. Same and, in Katy too. Yeah. Right, and and same with Memorial. Yeah, and I feel like Bel Air is still, especially inside 610 right you know you've got that kind of shopping area right at um stella link in bel-air but then other than that not very much no yeah there's there's a pretty big gap there um i have a lot of friends in 
you know, folks that, that, that I'm close with that live in West June, live in that area. And, and they have been, you know, on me about opening over there for a long time. Um, because you know, they had to drive to San Felipe, you know, um, or whatever. And so, you know, they've, they've been uh, really wanting us to do something. We do a lot of delivery over there from our San Felipe location as well. So we know that there's people in that area that, that are familiar with our brand that do want, do, do want our stuff. So. Yeah. I'm, how would you say the restaurant has sort of evolved? I mean, you, again, not that you like invented the idea of a place that's open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but kind of bringing that, bringing that style of restaurant together with local ingredients and, and being sort of modern and, you know, we're going to have good coffee. We're going to have craft beer. We're going to have affordable wines. You did create something I think that that's been kind of unique in the marketplace. So how would you say the concept has sort of evolved as you've added, you know, a location in the Heights, a location in Memorial. Now you're downtown. I mean, how's that all, how is just society different now than when it was when you opened in some ways, not at all. And then in other ways, um, you know, vastly different. I think the, the main difference is, you know, Uber Eats and, you know, Favor and DoorDash didn't, didn't, you know, exist when we opened. And, and now it's, you know, almost a third of our business. And so that's something that we've really had to push ourselves to evolve with, you know, when, you know, uh, one out of three or four orders from, depending on the restaurant, leaves in a, in a paper bag, you know, that's... Uh, You've got to think more about packaging, how your food travels, uh, the cost, the economics of that are, are, are vastly different. Um, so a lot of that has really, you know, occupied a lot of our time. As far as the concept, you know, goes, um, I think some things that we've evolved more on would would probably be we've, I think, been become known more of a like a brunch destination. I think is kind of we've got that that label, um, which is fine. It's great, but you know. Um, we also serve dinner and we also want to maximize, we want, we want people to come in for dinner and have drinks and appetizers and all those things too as well. So, um, that's been one thing that I was, I've probably been the most surprised about is how the brunch thing, I knew brunch would be big. I mean, brunch is, is big and I've lived in Austin and Dallas and you know, I mean, brunch is big. So I I knew that 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 wasn't going to be anything special, but, um, how big it did become. And then, you know, literally when I heard somebody say, well, I, I don't eat dinner at the place I get brunch from. Like I, I literally heard somebody say that and it kind of clicked for me like, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. You know, like if, if you're used to, if, if, so, if a concept to you is sort of pigeonholed as a breakfast concept or a breakfast or a brunch place, like, yeah, why would you go there for, for dinner? You know, there's some exceptions, but, um, that, that has been sort of the biggest stigma. And so we're, 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 we're trying to sway people over to the dinner. I mean, dinner sales are still, you know, almost 40% of our sales. So. We're still, oh yeah, so it's not. It's, it's not, not like you're empty. No, 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 no. Um, but we do most of our to go is actually during dinner. So like half of our sales during dinner are to go. Well, I remember being on a panel with uh, Trent Patterson, who's uh, been involved. What's Trent's title? He's our director of operations. Okay, so yeah. he's and he's been involved with Dish from the very beginning. From, yeah, uh, and Thomas Wynn and, and Trent talked about some of the things you guys did when you realized that. Uber Eats and other delivery apps were becoming such an important part of your business, which is basically you, you thought about how it looks in the packaging, right? Like you, you, you sort of took pictures of it and like, does it look appetizing? And then, and I know this sounds so stupid and maybe every restaurant does this, but you actually like let it sit in the packaging for half an hour and then ate it 
to figure out like, does this work? Two hours. Yeah. Yeah. We did a two hour test. Um, yeah. How does it travel? How does it, it, and we had to change our packaging and, you know, we, we still use, um, half of our packaging is like kind of that eco, you know, cart, not cardboard, but it's, you know, that eco-friendly kind of paper, uh, you know, biodegradable and stuff doesn't really hold well in that for a long period of time. No, so we had to switch we had, we had, and it doesn't hold temperature. So, you know, we had to switch some packaging and, and do make a lot of adjustments there. The, the bags that we use to, to hold the food in, um, there's a lot of those things that we had to adjust. So, yeah, it's been a big, I think, not just for us, obviously. I mean, it's changed the way restaurants are having to think about their design, um, their packaging, the way they, they do food, what they're going to put on there. And, you know, I just came from uh, literally right before I came here where we looked at it. We're looking at ghost kitchen spaces because so that's probably our next thing is to do, you know, smaller footprint and just do delivery and to go out of out of those units. Yeah, I think that. You know, right. Like maybe you don't, maybe you don't need as big a dining room for right. the next location. If a third of your sales is going to be delivery, maybe you need to allocate right a separate line for to go or, I mean, however you. That's hard to do after the fact, the retrofit. Right. That's really, really tough. And so, you know, we've, we've tried um, all kinds of things. We're implementing um, a software system right now that kind of streamlines all this stuff for us so that we don't have to have a bartender entering these orders in all the time and taking their eye off the guest, you know, because, you know, that is a big factor that, that really concerns me is the actual guest experience itself has eroded because there's so much focus on bagging these orders up. The bartenders get distracted. The managers get distracted. There's, you know, four or five Uber Eats drivers hanging out in your dining room waiting for their order. It just, it's not, it's not really the experience you want for a guest that's coming in, you know, um, to have an experience. And so it's, it's how do you manage that? And it's, it's tough. So, all right. So let me shift just slightly. So how, so what are you doing to kind of remind your customers like, Hey, you can't actually come and eat in our dining room at dinner time. <laughs> uh, well, one thing we just did, or we're sort of in the process of store by store is, is getting on open table. Um, so I think open table appeals to people who are, are looking for dinner and looking for reservations and reservations for us typically really aren't a thing unless it's for a large party. We're not typically on a big wait or anything unless it's a Friday or Saturday night. And, and usually it's really the only the Heights that really has that issue. If the weather's bad and we can't use the patio, we'll go on a wait at dinner or whatever. Um, and so we wanted to get on open table as a platform so that people, that are looking for dinner options, they open up open table and they scroll through. And, and so we're, we're trying to get on the radar from people that, uh, who might not have otherwise thought about us for dinner. And so that's, that's one way, um, marketing, uh, shifting some of our marketing messages as well to, to not be so much brunch, brunch centric, uh, whether it's photography or the things that we put on social, things like that, and, and trying to shift the gears there, you know, highlight some cocktails, highlight, you know, our wine list, highlight appetizers and, and our, you know, happy hour, social hour and things like that, just to get people in there. And, and then in the mornings and then for brunch, we invite people back for dinner. Um, and so that's how we, you know, we let people know when we're touching tables, you know, Hey, come check us out for dinner, you know, come get a free appetizer or, you know, come talk to me during dinner and I'll buy you a drink or whatever. Like, right. That. It's so full service. We take good care service. of you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that despise the counter service model. They hate it. And it's funny. You'll read reviews and they're like, Oh, food was great, but you know, I had to get my own drink and I had to wait in line. It's like, you know, okay, um, you can come back after 3.30 and you can get full service. You can get full service at the bar all day long. Um, but there's some people that just really, they're like, get really pissed off that we're counter service during the day. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get it, but I mean, that's, maybe right. they weren't expecting that. You know, I don't know, but it, it's just really funny. Yeah, I don't know. It's faster. 
I mean, that's the it whole is. point. It is. And, it and is. when you're going in for breakfast or lunch, it's like, and you don't, don't you don't have to tip, and you you just you can get your own refills when you want. You know, you don't really. And, and you know, most of the time, we try to have somebody coming around and refilling things in the dining room during the peak volume hour, so you don't have to get up. Or if you want another mimosa during brunch, you don't have to get up and order one. We'll, we'll take your order at the table. It's not a big deal. But yeah, there's some people that just hate it. So whatever. So let me ask you about another aspect of, of growing. I, I mean, you're sourcing, you know, you, what, about 75% of your produce from Texas? 75% of everything. So um, not just produce, but um, as much stuff as we can. And, um, you know, uh, whether it's proteins or, or breads or uh, dairy, I mean, a, a lot of stuff we get. So the, the, most, the, the biggest things that we don't get locally are like avocados, salmon, um, and then chicken. Chicken's just super difficult to get uh you know locally sourced well um, so that's what i was going to ask you is it is it easier now to find texas sources for most of your ingredients than when you started or is it harder because you have to fill five locations instead of just one uh that's a great question it's both so um as we've grown we've been able to source more things locally um, and so that's, that's been fantastic for us. One of our core values is to stay the course. So regardless of how big we get, it's really easy to cut corners. It's really easy to sort of not have to deal with 28 suppliers and only deal with four or five like most restaurants. But, um, you know, that's, that's why we're different. We have a full-time supplier relations coordinator who manages that for us, um, and, and really builds those relationships. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it is tough because there's a lot of uh, farms and ranchers who aren't necessarily expanding, certainly not at the same pace we are. And so when, you know, land or, you know, pigs or, or cattle or, you know, produce or soil or whatever is, is this kind of fixed asset and you can't really get a lot more of it. Um, yeah, it's difficult. And so what we've done is we've um, we've helped sort of some of our suppliers grow with us and, um, you know, either whether it's financially or just letting them know ahead of time where uh, where we're going and how much we're you know, going to be using of certain things and they can rotate different crops out, grow less of certain things and grow more of others, knowing that we're going to want that. And just constantly looking for, you know, new suppliers and things like that. We've had a lot of luck. A lot of people reach out to us uh, that have products. Well, and I, I would think the ability to say like, we're going to buy all of your tomatoes or whatever it is, because you have five, five locations support soon yeah. to be six. I, I mean, I, I would think that would have a lot of appeal. From yeah, a, from a supplier perspective, absolutely, and they can take that to a bank and get financing to you know buy more chickens or you know buy sweaters for their chickens. That's a thing to keep the chickens warm so they you know can, right for more eggs. Or yeah, 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 no, that's a thing. We have to worry about that. Um, so yeah, they're able they're <laughs> they're able to do that, and um, and that's and that's another way. And we can we can do a guaranteed contract with them so that they can take that. You know, basically, it's future sales that they can take to a bank and get financing for, and that helps them grow their business. Or we can. Um, work with grants or whatever it is for them to help them, you know, grow. So it's really cool. So let me let me ask you uh, about your your corporate culture as well, because obviously it's kind of one thing to staff one restaurant; it's another thing to to staff five. I mean, what are you what are you kind of what are you kind of doing to maintain your employees and, and kind of build out your team? Because I know that's it's so hard to find the right people. Oh, I mean, God, yeah that that is the million dollar question. I mean, that is. You know, when people ask me what I lose sleep over at night, like that's it is, is um, maintaining the culture, growing the culture and finding and retaining the best people. It's so hard right now. And you talk to any restaurateur in town, they're going to tell you the same thing. Um, it's just tough. There's just a war for talent out there right now. And it's and the odds are not in the restaurateur's favor. 
Um, so, you know, we have about 250 employees right now. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll increase that by you know, 60 to 80 next year. So that'll be pretty substantial. And, um, you know, we have a growing corporate staff as well to support the, the growth of, the, of the, the business and the company and the, and the employees. And so um, culture is really, really big for us, really big. Um, so we have a leadership development coach that we've had since day one that works with all of our leaders, even our junior leaders. Because then, you know, some of the issues you have when you, when you start to grow is you promote people, right? You promote people into leadership positions and maybe they've never been into a leadership position before or a, man, a management position. And so now they're managing kind of their peers who they used, they were, you know, they right, were like serving if you, with If tomorrow, you take your yeah. best server and turn them into an assistant manager, right? that sometimes there's pushback from the other servers. Like, uh, you don't get to tell me what to do. Oh, yeah. Not sometimes. Always. Yeah. There's <laughs> always pushback. And, um, and sometimes that can get to that person's head, right? And they don't know how to handle certain situations or guest situations or now they have this additional responsibility and they can't really show up hungover anymore. They can't do this. They can't do that. And so um, there's challenges. And so we have a leadership coach that helps our junior leaders sort of have more situational awareness and how to be more mature in, in those decision-making process. And we've really been building out a really robust management training program. Uh, that's something we've really been focused on this this year. Um, and, you know, just with our training and our culture and just making sure that we when we hire the right, we hire the right people and the ones that that aren't the right people, like we just get them the hell out as fast as possible because they can like literally cancer sink a ship. I mean, it is, it's, it's really tough, but it's hard because, you know, when you're a general manager of a store and you have somebody who's not necessarily the best person for your team, but you're kind of constantly understaffed because we're as a company, we're like constantly under every store has got like four or five constant positions that need to be filled at any given time. I would love to run one or two more servers every night or an extra bartender or whatever. And we just, we just can't do it. Um, we're trying. Um, and so they're, they're put in that position of, well, am I going to run lean for the next three weeks, you know, or, or am I, maybe I'm gonna have to pick up a shift if I'm a manager or am I going to let this person go? Cause it's the right thing to do. Cause they're, they're a drain. And so that's a, that's a difficult position that a lot of people are in right now. And so, um, we say, let them go. That's the thing. And what we're seeing that a lot more of that now than a few years ago, a few years ago, it was more, they were more kind of, you know, trigger shy now. They let it go because then what you see is you see the rest of the team step up. You see the rest of the team like, God, thank God, you know, what took you so long, you know? Right. And so <laughs> everybody is kind of like, you know, it's got the, the morale, you know, immediately sort of improves and everybody sort of steps up. And it's like, God, why didn't we do this two weeks ago? Well, and the flip side is also true, right? If, if you have someone who's kind of bringing the team down, then the employee who's working hard feels like, oh, well, my good work isn't being acknowledged. Right, like, right. This other person still gets a paycheck. Like they lower the average for sure. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give eighty percent of the effort that I was yeah. giving. It's contagious, man. Yeah. Apathy and, and mediocrity, it's contagious, and that's the biggest fear. That's the biggest challenge that we fight, you know, every day. All right. So let me just shift let me shift again a little bit. You're in you're in all these different neighborhoods. So like what is the difference between what people order in the heights versus what they get in Memorial versus what they get in Tanglewood versus what you see? In Katie, good question. Um, which is, or let me let me start with the obvious. Which is the booziest store? Oh, Heights for sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely, Heights. Yeah, followed by Memorial. Um, you know, and at Tanglewood, we only do beer and wine there, and that was like a landlord uh, lease thing. We we really couldn't do liquor, so we do beer and wine there. So so they have lower amount, just you know naturally. Sure. Um, Heights for sure. Yeah, and then and then Memorial. Yeah, so booziest for sure. And then um, you know the Heights. 
I think people tend to, and part of this is because it's it's not even a year old yet. The newer restaurants tend to people tend to spend more for that for the, the first kind of year. They're they're going out for dinner more. They're trying appetizers. They're doing a lot of that stuff, and so uh, people tend to spend a little bit more at the Heights than the other restaurants. Um, but uh, as far as like a product mix, you know, we sell uh, as a percentage of sales. It's 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 you know very similar as far as what the the main ingredient, the main the main the house favorites are the shrimp and grits, the brisket stuffed sweet potato, brisket and eggs, pork belly hash, all those things. Now our, our deconstructed chicken pot pie, which is like this cult favorite for our winter menu that we just put back on every every Ooh. every winter we do that. Yeah, so that's that people people get so pissed when we take that off in you know May or whatever, and it's like do you, you know. It's ninety degrees. Why do you want I pot pie? I didn't. Well, I didn't know that you did a pot pie. It's a deconstructed pot pie. So uh, we had to add that to the menu because people were kind of getting pissed. Right. If it they, doesn't come with if it doesn't come with a pastry <laughs> right. top, you can't call it right. A pot right. Pie. Um, we do. We we serve it with puff pastry, like sort of not a garnish, but I mean, it's there's puff pastry, uh, you know, kind of segments on top for you. I to mean, frankly, dip. you could just serve if you took like chicken pot pie filling. And ladled it on top of a couple of your biscuits from the breakfast menu. I think I'd be pretty happy. Damn, that. that's a good idea. All right, we might we might that the might Eric be on the special secret, that on Eric the special might be on the secret menu. That yeah, only if you listen to this podcast, you can order at the restaurant. Get yeah, that sounds really good. It just commits you to having the biscuits in the in in the nighttime. But we all. do that now because we do breakfast all day. We just started doing breakfast all day, so we took our five easiest to execute breakfast menus that were also the most popular. Uh, and put them on our lunch menu and dinner menu because we were getting so many people that would come in at noon or you know two o'clock in the afternoon and they wanted breakfast and we just we didn't have it so they'd go somewhere else that did or whatever and I so I thought you know look from eleven to to twelve we really or from ten forty five which is when we normally stop serving breakfast to twelve that's where we'd make up a lot that's where we'd get the benefit from it but man if you if you look at our uh, orders at dinner so many we sell so many pancakes at dinner it's crazy. Um, the chicken and biscuits are on that menu, so that's that's pretty oh, popular. Oh, so the biscuits are all right. Biscuits are all day. So the Eric special, you could do it. Yeah, all right. I'm I'm gonna let I'm me gonna... know. Well, I'm gonna try it with you. You, we'll, we'll bring you in. We'll try it. I, that sounds amazing. I might go try it right now. Actually, that sounds yeah. Really you good. know, I've got I've got family that lives in Briargrove, so I'm gonna we're <laughs> we're all getting together for dinner. Right I love now. it. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's a good. All idea. right, and then the other thing I have to ask you about is is Finn Hall because I don't think since it opened I've had. I don't think I've had any of the operators on the show. You're you're like a. I feel like you're kind of an anti-Finn Hall. I am guy. kind of anti. You are. I've, I've, anti I, I know. I've heard a lot of like negativity from you on your podcast or whatever about Finn Hall. You guys rated the food halls right on one, and you put Finn Hall last. I think I right? might have. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. it's okay. Well, so how has it been from your perspective? How has that experience going? It's been great for us. Honestly, it's been fantastic. Um, exceeded expectations. I would say from a from a financial standpoint, for sure, we've doubled our what our sales projections were. So it's it's been fantastic. You know, we went in there thinking, oh, this is gonna be an experiment. Probably won't make any money. We'll break even, but it'll be a great you know brand builder for to be downtown. A lot less risk than building a restaurant. Um, it's an experiment. It's a short term. There's really no downside. So that's what we thought. But then um, it was just so wildly popular and um, huge demand for what we do down there. Uh, and so it was great. And a lot of the other operators in the space, same, same, same thing. There were some other people that were, I think, challenged from the beginning. They weren't, they weren't ready to do the volume. Yeah. The, uh, the, the pizza concept has been the spinal tap drummer of Finn Hall. Yeah. Right. Where they, they keep losing them. But, but I guess it's really only well, that one. Was one. It was one. Right. And, and I don't, I, I don't know those people, but you know, the first couple operator meetings, 
look, I'll just say, I'm not I'm not surprised that they didn't. There, I mean, look, I, I mean, if you've been a, if you've been a Voodoo Queen or uh, or Moon Tower and you kind of understand their aesthetic, then you could see why they may not have worked in a more structured food hall setting. Probably the food was good. I would say that uh, for sure. I think they had an issue with like the pizza oven wasn't like fast enough or something. Like, oh, they okay. couldn't crank out ovens, and that's and it just just didn't. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't have the details. Right, and but, it didn't. And it, and Mala didn't work there. Uh, and I don't know why. Bad. Yeah, I don't know why they. Um, I, I think they're focusing on other stuff, is what they said. But I have no idea. They were busy. I mean, besides us, you know, they were right next door to us, so we saw our lines would kind of frequently merge sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, so we they they had line. I mean, they were busy. So I don't I don't know exactly what happened there. But yeah, and I see consistently good comments about Kraft Burger. I feel like oh yeah, Shannon's Shannon doing really oh, well there. kills it. Yeah, he's he kills it. He was kind of freaking out when Shake Shack opened up and. Uh, flipping patties because Shake Shack opened up literally in the same building uh, as us, and then you know flipping patties across the street. But I, he's doing he's doing great. He's such a great guy. Uh, him and his wife they're fantastic. And um, yeah, and there's new sort of management overseeing the, the operations. Well, so. that was the other thing I wanted to ask you about is is it it happened it happened kind of quietly and it 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 wasn't it wasn't very well publicized because I didn't I didn't quite understand what it meant from a diner's perspective, but. Yeah, the management company changed, yeah. right? So it's it used to be well, it doesn't really matter who it used to be. Now it's Midway, right? The yeah. real estate development firm, right? Right. So Midway owns the building and, and manages the building at Seven Twelve Main, um, and they have a lot of uh, experience with mixed use projects and restaurants themselves. Um, and so, uh, right, and they're your landlord at Memorial Green, for example. Exactly. Um, and so they, um, yeah, they took over, and I don't, you know. They didn't share a lot of stuff with us. This was all sort of, they had an emergency meeting to like let us all know kind of in the 11th hour and they, they didn't really disclose much. Um, but I, what I would tell you is all the operators are, are happy about the change for sure. It's uh, much more of an operator friendly environment than it was before. Um, I think the other guys, this, it was their first food hall. I think, you know, just there was a lot. It's just a lot. It's like a hard, you know, they're basically started 10 restaurants or eight restaurants and two bars. And well, just if, if you could get like a more customer friendly POS system, that's like slightly less of a pain in the ass. So that's all changed. So now, so that was, so I'm glad you brought that up because the original landlord managed all the POS systems. They're all integrated and tied in together. So they would take all the payments, process all the credit cards, and then they would deposit in our bank, you know, twice a week or whatever. So we had no control over POS. We had no control over the tip thing. We had no control over anything, which is a huge pain in the ass. I and mean, when you change your menu, kind of like we do to get a button change, I mean, it was just, it was a lot of work. So now every stall is in charge of their own POS. So like you can run whatever you want. Good. Yeah. So that, that's, that's different. We're still, it's still cashless down there. We still don't want to do the, the cash thing down there. So it's, um, but everybody, there's a lot of changes coming that are, are going to be both operator and consumer friendly because Midway is very great about building and developing and managing projects from the guest perspective and from a usability and a longevity perspective. And so I think you're going to see a lot of really cool uh, changes with that coming. All right. So then do you see yourself like doing more food hall locations? Not in Houston. Cause I think, I, I just don't know where else we would go. Um, but in other cities, absolutely. Um, as a secondary thing. So like we're looking in Austin, for example. So we'll open in Austin in the next, you know, two or three years or whatever. Mm -hmm. I would love to have a really, you know, flagship brick and mortar location and then do a food hall and then do like a ghost kitchen and then maybe do one or two other brick and mortars around the city. But that's going to be kind of our model going into cities is we'd love to do the food hall. The reason the food hall works well for us is because we have a central commissary where we make everything from scratch 
and we send it out on you know almost daily on our refrigerated truck. So, you know, we pro- we smoke all of our, our meats and we portion everything and we make all of our sauces and our soups and we make we make everything from scratch in house. And then that all just gets sent to the restaurants on a daily basis. And so that works for us because we don't have to do a lot of prep on site. So the food hall being in a small space, we don't, we don't actually, it works for us because, you know, everything's kind of coming in ready to roll. Um, and, uh, you know, that works. So I think as a secondary option in a, another city, absolutely. But I think food halls are cool. Be interesting to see. There's so many of them now and there's going to be even more, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. I don't know. It's just another trend. Just kind of like, right. Right. We, right. Like we don't know, right. Lyric market is apparently a thing that's still happening. Right. It was uh, announced. Yeah. Oh, man, I forgot about that. One. It was announced a long time ago. I don't, I don't know who's going in there or when that's going to start. Well, building they're bringing out. in like world, like in national, like big. Yeah. Sort of- I mean, I, I had an off the record conversation with them a while ago about who they're targeting. If, if those names are really true. Yeah. One of them was Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams, which I don't know if that's still a possibility for downtown, but like Jenny's, obviously Jenny's is growing on its own timeline and, and committed to the heights. Yeah. Um, and other, there's other locations that they're opening in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll kind of see how, but you know, if, if they are, you know, if there were a pizzeria at that level or a sushi place at that level or whatever, and they all do actually wind up in Lyric Market. Like that would be really cool. Yeah. And then whatever's happening at Post HTX would be really nice. Yeah. And Railway Heights. I mean, so um, my concern is with the food halls outside of like a super dense walkable area, like the ones that are going in the Heights. And it's just like so if you have to drive there and park, I think I, I just don't know. I, I the, there's one in uh, Plano Legacy Hall, which is sort of one of those deals. I mean, it's in Plano. Um, right, it's, but it's a but it's a really vibrant shopping area. It's with in a, a very, lot of stores, right? Right, and it's it's kind of in a rice villagey type of area, and it's you know four or five stories or whatever, and they have a brewery and things like that. But it's just you know I don't know. I think people are are trying to figure out food halls themselves, and like I you know I have no idea. I'm a I'm a fan and a customer just as much of as an operator. So right. you know I think they're cool. It's it's be interesting to see what happens. All right, so we're gonna have. You know, sometime next year, right? We'll have six dish societies, right? Maybe seven or eight because we've got a couple things working right now. Well, that, that's what I was going to ask you. Is so so how many more like sit down locations, and then, I mean, you're not in Sugarland yet. No, which seems I don't like, and you're not in the Woodlands. Those no. seem like sort of the obvious. Yeah. So Vintage Park, maybe yeah. Clear Lake. I mean, you have you have options. Yeah, I, the suburbs. The suburbs aren't really our thing. You know, we, we've got the Katy location and that, that did well for a couple of years. And then just everybody opened restaurants in Katy and, um, you know, the consumer out there is, is a little bit different, a little, a little tougher. Um, it's very hard to find people to work out there. And that's probably the number one issue we have. And that location is just really small. We can, we only have 56 seats inside. It's just really hard to do anything with that store. But, um, I, from brick and mortar standpoint, after West U or Bel Air Southside, whatever uh, opens, I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't know. We're gonna try the ghost kitchen thing for a while and see um, how that is. The only other area that we don't really have a presence is in sort of in the Montrose River Oaks area, but we have to be careful that we don't get too close to the heights and encroach, you know, in the heights. So we have to stay, you know, a little bit further south, and then then you've got Bel Air. So we don't want to cannibalize our, our existing store. So we have to be really careful. Um, right. So you need like, kind of like, I mean, it doesn't really exist, but like you need 
Well, you you need like the old salt air space, but not that much space. But like oh, God, Kirby and no, West yeah. Alabama, Kirby and West Alabama would be kind of the right, uh, maybe closer to Midtown a little bit. Okay, I would say yeah. And so you know, I I, I don't know. That's that's the thing. When we opened the Heights, we saw a pretty decent drop a hit at our San Felipe location. Um, we lost half of our to go business almost overnight, uh, and so we don't want to you know, like I said, cannibalized too much of our existing stores. Um, I think six is six or maybe even seven is the right number, but we're looking at some other avenues to, we, you know, we experimented with NRG stadium this year. We, we sold our shrimp and grits out of there and, and some, um, you know, salads and some healthier stuff. And, you know, that was okay. I don't know if we're going to do that. It just again. doesn't scream football game to me. Well, it, it doesn't, you know, they keep saying they, there's demand for people that want that stuff, but then nobody buys it, right? So it's, Yeah, but then yeah. somehow they all line up for, like, Killen's brisket sandwiches. Yeah, that's what people want. Yeah, and then they wouldn't let us sell brisket because we're because uh, Killen's sells brisket, which I wouldn't want to sell brisket next to <laughs> next to Killen's right. anyway, so not a problem. But, um, yeah, you know, shrimp and grits is not the most, you know, portable thing to eat while you're watching a football game. Totally get it. Um, but, but you know, we're, it was an experiment to see, right? Um, so we're looking at that and we're looking at other markets in, you know, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio. I, w- I want to have a presence in all those markets within the next five years for sure. Um, and from a supply chain perspective, those make the most sense because you know, we can keep a lot of our current suppliers going into some of the cities and then we can leverage new ones um, based on, you know, the proximity and, and there's no shortage of, the, of that. And so, um, yeah, I think that's what it looks like. I, I don't know how many more brick and mortars. I don't, I don't know how much room there is. And because the market is shifting and, you know, the restaurant industry five or 10 years from now, it's going to look totally different. And so um, you're signing 10 to 20 year leases, right, on these spaces. Like you have to be forward thinking so you don't really over overdo it. And then in 10 years, that's when you're paying the most rent. Right. And then it's like, so what does what does the market even look like in 10 years? You got you got to really think about that. So um, it's you just know. different. Right. It does occur. There is that uh, that Montrose Commons mixed use project that uh, Radom Capital. Oh, announced, yeah. Beautiful. Right, that right across from Lucci. Right, right across yeah. from Lucci. They're oh, going to put beautiful. the library in it. It's uh, awesome. Gorgeous. Yeah. There's your spot. It's not cheap, Eric. Uh, no, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, and Montrose, that it's just that's a fickle area, right? Like there's so many. It's places true. that come in and go and you think, oh, man, this place is great. And then six months later, they're not there anymore. And you're like, what the heck happened? Um, the yeah, rent, I, parking. As a, as a Montrose resident, I, I admit we, we chew places up and spit them out real fast. I know. And that scares the hell out of me. So I'm a little, uh, there's a little trepidation going on between, you know, us going in that area. So um, that might be an area where we put a ghost kitchen or something and just test the waters and see. But uh, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard. But that development is absolutely gorgeous. And Steve and his... I mean, they do such a phenomenal job. Uh, I would love to do a project with Steve. I've known Steve for a while, and he's he does a fantastic job. All right. Well, I, I've kept you I've kept you long enough, um, but of course, I can't let you leave without playing the lightning round with you. Let's do it. Five easy questions, five short. Can answers. Can I use the same answers as I did last time, or should I try to think of new ones? I mean, I I've I've probably changed the question since then. I meant okay. to. Okay. You know, honestly, this is on me. I meant to listen to just that three minutes from last time <laughs> and come up with new questions, but, but I didn't do it. It's so, okay. All right. So, uh, let me, uh, so let me start Aaron Lyons. Uh, what is your, what is your favorite cookbook? Oh man. Um, you know, I'm, I like just flipping through, uh, you know, Bon, bon Appetit magazine. I just like flipping through magazines and, and on honestly like Pinterest, you know, I don't really have like a cookbook, um, I did get uh, uh, Chris Shepard's new one. 
Yeah. Um, and that one's re- really good. So my wife and I, we're, we're, we're pulling a couple things out of there and, and trying at home. We really like Thai food and that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, sort of Asian influence in his cookbook. And so we're going to try the papaya salad and some of the other stuff out of there. So, I mean, that's the most current one that we like literally have on our kitchen table right now. Right. That we we right. kind of thumb through. So I, I probably asked you the first band you ever saw in concert. So I'm going to, I'm going to flip this around. What's the last movie you saw in a theater? As the as the parent of young children, oh, is, Toy Story four probably. Yeah, it was a kids movie for sure. Lion King, I think it was Toy Story four. Yeah, that was probably. Unfortunately, I don't I don't watch many movies for myself anymore. All right, um, so instead of asking you for your fast food guilty pleasure, what's the last restaurant you went to on a date night? Oh, that's a good one. Um, let's see, uh, we did. Oh, we went to Lock Bar uh, two weeks ago. I think. How was that? Uh, it was good. Um, it was funny. You know, we have three kids and we, they sat us next to a table that had like four kids and they were doing like a birth, like one of the kids, like a five-year-old's birthday party. I don't, I was like, who does their five-year-old birthday at like lock bar, right? Like That's this a is very spoiled. Five-year-old. I know. I'm like, what the hell? We're trying to get away from our kids and we're sitting next to a bunch of kids. They were fine. They weren't like, you know, intrusive or anything, but yeah, lock bar. And then Uchi's our favorite. We, we do Uchi for like birthdays and anniversaries and stuff all the yeah. time. And then, oh, you know what I, Doris, um, Doris uh, Metropolitan, Metropolitan, right? Yeah, man, I was I was really uh, I was really impressed. It's we went, so good. It's oh my god! It's really like yeah. I I can't stop talking about that place. Uh, but I've, everybody, it's I mean, the I, best. It's the best bread program of any. The bread is anywhere. unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. The bread is ridiculous. Uh, the appetizers. I mean, we had the the where they, they cook the bone marrow or whatever on the table and, like, scoop it out mm-hmm. on your steak. I mean... The beet with the... The roasted beet with the cheese in the middle? Yeah, yeah. I so I'm I'm real high on that place. I'll probably burn, burn myself out on that place for a while. Uh, but, yeah, those were the last few date nights that we've done. All right, and then... So instead of asking you for your favorite uh, Houston sports figure, how about... You're a, you're a UT alum, so who's yeah. your favorite Longhorn of all time? You know, I, I want to say Vince Young uh, because he was there when I was there in school and he won the national championship for us and, and sort of uh, kind of put us back on the map during that time. So, yeah, I mean, I'd probably have to say uh, I probably have to say Vince Young uh, from a football. Yeah, probably right. Vince Young. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go to toppings? Pepperoni and mushroom. Absolutely. That is the right answer. Yeah, I, I absolutely love and I like a lot of mushrooms because they shrink, you know, when you cook yeah. them. So, like, I want them to double up just so I get enough. All right, Aaron, give us the uh, the website and the social media for Dish Society. Just DishSociety.com and at Dish Society on all social platforms. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Thank you for bringing me back. Let's not wait 100, 100 times. Yeah, we won't yeah. be another 100 episodes. Good. All right, yeah. All right, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. As always, I am curious to hear your comments and your feedback. But like Katie Nolan says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.